0: This
1: is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
0: Okay. Um, now, can everybody hear
2: me there? Uh, good morning and um, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I if you managed to hear. Um, as I said, I am now, I'm coming to you live from Naples in Italy. It has finally stopped raining and we have those beautiful um, sunny winter days. Snow on Vesuvius, and um, generally the sun puts us all in a much better mood. Um, I hope it's sunny where you are today too, um, and that you're having a great day. This morning, I have a very special guest. Um, she doesn't need a lot of intro- introduction because um, a lot of people know, oh, it's it's surprisingly sunny in, in Manchester. Great. Great. Um, Yes, it, it, it does change your whole outlook on on the day really, doesn't it? When when you've got a bit of sun, it also makes you appreciate those sunny days. We've just had weeks and weeks and weeks of rain here. Um, I'm really, really delighted to have um, Rachel Roberts. Hi, Harry. Good morning. Um, um, Rachel Roberts has um, probably doesn't need a lot of intro- introduction. Um, she has been in the ELT industry for 30 years, and has she works as, worked as a teacher, a teacher trainer, and a materials writer. Um, she now works as a business and mind, mindset coach for ELT entrepreneurs and freelance professionals, helping them to earn more, work less, and live more fully. Today, we're going to be talking about the teenage brain, and I'm just going to let. Rachel, in Rachel. Um, okay, I. Rachel, could you just um, come back in? <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll be talking about. I'm sure she'll be she'll be in in a second. Um, as I said, we'll be talking about the teenage brain, which is something that all of us um, can, can, can and need to know more about, particularly when we are teaching teenagers. Rachel? Um. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. I can't see Rachel. Um, let me see if I can get her in a different way. Um, I'm gonna try clicking on her. I might need some help here. Okay, anyway, I was, I'll just talk a little bit more. I was, I was actually, um, as I'm, I'm obviously, I have a teenager and um, they, they do surprise you. Um, sometimes they seem very, very mature and able to, you know, to cope with things and then at other times um, they really, uh, they do really silly things and um, and here she comes and, and I'm sort of left flabbergasted so I'm really curious to talk to, to Rachel. Rachel, hello. Hi. Sorry about that, Jane. I was, I was apparently in the room, so I had to go out
3: of the app and then come back in and do it again. But I'm here now.
2: I think, that, I think it might have been that I, when I refreshed to, um, to get my sound back, it may have booted you out. I'm terribly sorry. But I am so glad that you are here. And, Me too. And where are you phoning in? Or where are you, you broadcasting from? <laughs>
3: um, so from Leamington Spa in the, in the Midlands in the UK. Um, which is a, well, as you can tell, it's a spa town, nice Regency, white buildings, kind of think Cheltenham, only smaller. <laughs> sounds, sounds wonderful. And have you got sun or? No, it's um, very grey and overcast today, I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry to hear
2: that too. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, there's, um, Harry's just said hello. I don't know if you can see him in the chat um, Royal Leamington Spa, no less. Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> oh, we've got to get these things right. So, so hi, Jane. Yeah, hi, I mean, hi. teenagers, huh? I've mm. got two. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously I've got experience of teaching teenagers, um, writing materials for teenagers. Um, you know, a lot of what I've written in recent years has been aimed at sort of upper secondary Um, And I'm also very interested um, in neuroscience and kind of how, you know, how the brain works. And a lot of that is, of course, extremely relevant to teenagers because there are all sorts of things going on um, in teenagers' brains, some of which we probably don't want to know about. But anyway,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. Yes, yes. I can only imagine.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah so it is a it is kind of quite a you know a pet topic of mine because I I think um understanding a bit more about kind of what's going on um for teenagers you know biologically and in their brains in particular mm. is very helpful I think for obviously for parents but also for teachers and indeed you know people who are preparing materials and so on
2: and how, um, what's, what's a sort of common myth about the teenage brain? Well, I mean, I think that
3: there are, there are quite a lot of things, I think, that we don't um, necessarily, I mean, we don't fully understand everything that, about how the brain works. That's for sure. You know, there's still a lot to be discovered. But since we've been able to do MRI scans, which is like the last sort of 20, 25 years, We've learned a lot and, you know, it used to be thought, I don't know whether whether it's that as common a myth, if you like, as it used to be, but it used to be thought, you know, that the brain kind of basically stopped developing um, when you became an adult and, you know, that was it. Whereas we now know that actually it continues changing and growing and shrinking and generally being plastic all the way through our lives. Mm. But apart from when you're a very small child, and obviously there's a lot of activity going on, uh, the teenage years is the other period when there's a huge amount um, of rewiring kind of going on in the brain. Um, It's known as neural pruning. You know, pruning is like when you (laughs) cut back a plant so that it can grow. Mm. And essentially what's happening is it's not just that it's growing, it's that it's getting rid of loads of connections that we haven't been using. It's kind of use it or lose it, you know. And it it's a massive process that goes on until we're about 25.
2: I wondered, I mean, obviously I'm looking at it from a, a ling- linguistic point of view. Does that mean that all of the language that we learn or the things that we don't use from primary um, disappear or do they get? archived or
3: well if, um, if we're not using them they probably disappear to quite a degree I mean obviously yeah. it's a bit of an
2: oversimplification it is isn't it I mean I'm, I'm, I'm but, not but, a specialist in the area no, 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 well I mean
3: I'm not a scientist you know but <laughs> but it is it you know it's all about connections um, and when we create a connection if the brain decides that's a useful connection and we use it again then it will get reinforced and so on if we don't use it, um, then it will kind of gradually fade away. Mm. Um, you know, it's a bit like i mean a metaphor that's often used is, you know, if you kind of have a path through the forest, if lots of people tromp through there on a regular basis, the path gets very wide and clear. Yeah. But if people stop using it, it gets overgrown. You know, so... Maybe it hasn't gone completely, but you probably wouldn't find your way there very easily. Let's mm. put it that way.
2: Um, what kind of advice would you give to teachers working with teens if they're... Well, yeah. Mm.
0: <laughs> <There's> <laughs> That's a, a lot. Very
2: That's a lot. No, I was just thinking, um, um, you know, particularly how to well, approach their learners.
3: I mean, I think, just kind of understanding um, a little bit about what's going on. I mean one thing I mean this is probably not in most teachers hands because of the way the school system is set up um, but you know one thing is sleep you know there's this sort of stereotype of the of the lazy teenager that stays in bed all day and I think there is probably some <laughs> truth to that but um, they do need a lot more sleep. Than we might think they need about nine to 10 hours a night um, more than like younger kids Um, and they need that time because of like everything that's going on in their brain basically there's all this rewiring going on and they also um, release melatonin which is what helps us to sleep about two hours later than adults do you know so when I'm kind of at 10 o'clock thinking, oh, God, I've got to get to bed. My teenagers are raring to go. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah. You know, because they haven't had that melatonin release yet. And then, of course, they have to get up really early for school. Mm. So they're constantly sleep deprived.
2: I can see that. I think I, uh, a friend of mine who lives in London, her son was part of an experimental project where they went, the kids went to school, the teens went to school from half past one till seven, and she mm. said that the, the effect was incredible. One, she didn't have to stress so much in the morning <laughs> about mm. you know, all the things that you have to do to get him out of the house. Everything was calm. If he hadn't finished his homework the night before, he could, you know, do it in the morning and then go to school. And mm. his results were that um, they actually improved. So there's something to be said for afternoon learning with teens.
3: Definitely, which obviously, you know, it's hard if the whole education system is set up. Yes. Yeah. But it is worth just being aware, you know, that when they're sitting there yawning and, you know, looking like they don't really care, they may really be struggling um, Mm. with sleep deprivation. Uh, I mean, other things, um, you know, there's a tendency uh, for teens to kind of try and multitask I mean I'm not a fan of multitasking for anybody really (laughs) because it doesn't really exist like you can't do two things at once I mean you can do something like you know chewing gum and and talking to somebody because you're not having to think about the chewing gum but any two things you have to think about you're actually switching back and forth Mm. but that uses a part of the brain um called the now I don't know how you pronounce this. I've only read it. The parietal lobes, the parietal lobes. Yeah, um, I think it's and, a second parietal. Okay, lobe. thank you. Yep. <laughs> and those are not fully developed in teenagers. So you know the teenagers that tell you that they can do their homework while they're watching television, they really,
2: really can't. And. Um, <laughs> yeah I suppose from yeah from a parents point of view but what can we do I mean I I have a um my son's in a digital class and a couple mm-hmm. of times I get messages saying um they've caught him playing games in class mm-hmm. and um he seems to think that he can do both
0: <laughs>
2: well I mean I do I'm a big
3: believer really in kind of you know, helping students, but you know, particularly teenagers because they are old enough, helping them to understand more about how their own brains work, you know, and what techniques will and will not work for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, the like the Pomodoro technique, I think is fantastic for teenagers. Um, it's where you kind of work in a focused way for 25 minutes and then take a break yeah. for five minutes and then you repeat. Um, and both my... Kids use that despite the fact they rarely do anything that I suggest for them um, because they have found that actually it really works for them and that they get through their work quicker, mm-hmm. um, you know, rather than spending hours kind of trying to do things and not fully concentrating and it taking half a day, you know, they actually get a lot more done. Yeah. So we can te- I think what we can do as teachers is we can, you know, actually talk about this stuff. And you know, show them these techniques that will help to sort of maximize what they are good at.
2: That's a really, really good idea. Um, good, good lesson too. <laughs> really, um, actually setting a tasking and seeing, getting them to feedback on it. Mm. What about behaviour? I mean, I know that's a that's a really broad mm. topic too, and we could probably talk for the whole week about it. Are there particular behaviours that? Um, that sort of manifest themselves due to this phase of development.
3: Yes. I mean, again, you know, this is about, I mean, the brain basically develops from the back towards the front and the front is the most sort of mature, you know, adult logical part like the prefrontal cortex and teenagers are, you know, tend to use the amygdala, which is like the sort of reactive fight flight part Mm. of the brain more than the prefrontal cortex. Um, and so that means that you're going to get much more reactivity, you know, just kind of acting before you think um, because they haven't sort of, you know, got the wiring in place yet necessarily to put a, a hold on that mm. and more risk taking. Um, you know, we, with it's harder for them to learn from their mistakes. Um, it's, they tend to be more kind of addicted to brain chemicals like dopamine and things, you know, hence all the, the gaming. Mm. Um, And obviously that does have an impact, you know, on behavior, but some of this, I think we can use. I mean, I think that kind of, you know, they really, they do respond very well, I think, to that sort of dopamine reward hit, you know, so we can, we can use that I think in the
2: classroom. Definitely. Um, I'm just um, sorry. I've lost. Um, I've just lost. Um, hmm. No, I'm just also thinking about how my 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 own son kind of reacts, and I can see now that in terms of defining age, is it possible to sort of you know set a period up until <laughs> or. <Well. laughs>
3: <laughs> it does depend on the individual, um, but one of the interesting things that's come out of sort of neuroscience is that basically adolescence goes, in terms of the brain, goes up until about the age of twenty-five. Excellent. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it it is it is much sort of late. I mean, obviously it depends on the individual, but you know we do mature brain-wise much later. Than you might think, you're not actually an adult at 18 from that perspective.
2: No, and I, I mean, I'm kind of. I also think I wonder, um, and you might have be able to tell us more. What what effect do you think the pandemics had on this development?
3: Mm, well, I think that's a very good point, Jane. You know, I mean, I think I think it's um, it's affected all of us because for the last two years we've all really been in a kind of, not always high level, but a constant state of stress, Um, Mm. you know, because every day, you know, there's something else in the news, or there's another change that we have to deal with, or, you know, so there's constant stress, which means that our amygdala is being constantly stimulated, Mm. um, which is, you know, only going to Um, make it harder, I think, for teenagers who are trying to develop those connections between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. I mean, we know that uh, this was something that just amazed me when I found this out, you know, that parts of the brain literally get bigger and get smaller um, in response to what we do. Um, So the amygdala actually, you know, gets bigger, the more that it is kind of triggered um, and so all of us probably have got at least slightly bigger amygdalas than we did, which means we're more reactive than we were.
2: Yeah, I, I, can, I can, you can, I can certainly see that living here because Neapolitans like to are quite reactive. Um, mm. And I thought maybe that the um, the pandemic would would calm things a little, but I have my doubts. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's um, yeah. I mean, having a teenage a teenager who's sort of gone you know when we went into the pandemic, he was fourteen and um now he's seventeen. so we haven't we haven't had to experience those the years of of you know setting boundaries and you you can come home at midnight, you can come home at half past <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we've we've literally just gone from sort of football parties to um you know, going out and, and haven't had a chance to even work on on developing those mm. those boundaries, um, and I wonder how how teens will be in in the next few years.
3: Yeah, I, I do think you know that's a, that's another big issue because, as you say, you know, those years when they're sort of younger teens, that's where they're trying things out in relatively safe kind of contexts and step-by-step, step, you know, developing their abilities to judge, um, you know, what what kinds of things are, are, you know, okay for them to be doing and so on.
0: Mm.
3: And all of that has been kind of taken away. They're not getting the same interaction with peers. And, no. you know, teenagers look to peers far more than they do to their parents, um, and they're not kind of getting as much support or modeling or you know any of those things from from those people around them it you know it's it's definitely I'm sure it's going to have um, impacts down the line unfortunately.
2: Mm. I think you mentioned the, the other day something about what percentage of their life. Um, mm, what, yes I mean it just makes
3: me think about that that if you're you know, if you're a teenager, then two years out of your life, you know, it it could be an eighth of your life, which is a lot. If you know, if I think about an eighth of my life, I'm not even going to try and do it, <laughs> <laughs> but it would be a lot more than two years. You know, it would be a really significant length of time. Yeah, and you know, that's kind of all they've known for the last part of their life. It is. You know, I think it is going to be
2: very hard for them. Good. Um, Rachel, um, I'm thinking thinking about resources because I know you, you're quite a prolific materials writer or were a prolific materials writer. Are there any resources that you would recommend teachers to use either as their own um, professional development resource um, or... Uh, to use in the classroom with their teens oh, no, to help. Got me. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, I'll break that question down into two faces. resources for teachers. Is there any any anything you would recommend?
3: Well, I mean, I think you know, I think to be, I think there are lots of um, in terms of learning about um, teenagers. There is an excellent book. Um, which is called something like understanding the teenage brain, mm. um, but off the top of my head, I can't remember the author of that. I could have a have a look in a moment, uh, and I do think it is useful to um, you know to actually learn more about this stuff. I, yes, I've remembered it now. It's called the it's called the teenage brain, um, and it a neuroscientists. Um, I'm just looking on my Kindle now, Survival Guide to Adolescents and Young Adults. Um, and that's by Dr. Francis Jensen. Um, so I would recommend that. But I think in terms of, you know, what we do in the classroom with students, I think that the key thing really is, you know, to be listening to them, um, to be, you know, showing them through the way that, we're dealing with things, kind of, you know, modelling for them, you know, how how sort of a hopefully more mature brain kind of deals with things. Mm. Um, And, you know, accepting not bad behaviour, obviously, but accepting that it might be difficult um, for them and that, you know, what's going on is not necessarily being naughty or whatever. It you know, it's a
2: reaction to. It's a yeah, they get quite impulsive, mm. and then obviously massive regrets afterwards. Yeah,
3: exactly. Because
2: they've um, they they've said something or done something that they really probably wouldn't have done <laughs> had they thought about it. Um, and for for teachers in the classroom, when they're well, introducing the Pomodoro method is a great one. Any other
3: tips? Well, I think, you know, I think in general, um, helping students, you know, sort of what's what's known as metacognition really, to think about, you know, how they're thinking and to think about sort of what techniques um, are working for them. I mean, one good thing, because all of this has been quite negative, one good thing about being a teenager (laughs) Um, is that actually um, memories are easier to make um, and they last longer than they do in adulthood, you know, which may be why we can still sort of remember so much about our school days. Yeah. Um, So we can use that and we can help um, students to you know, to see the things that they are good at. And there is a lot of memorising, I think, involved in education these days. Certainly in the UK there is.
2: Oh, in Italy it's all about memorising <laughs> things. Well, Liz Rachel. Um I'm we're gonna go for a quick break and listen to the news. Um so I will see you back here in about five minutes to continue the conversation. <laughs> thank you.
0: Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org.
1: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
4: In Scotland, independent schools have been eligible for charity relief on non-domestic business rates. This will end on the 1st of April 2022. Scottish Greens MSP Ross Greer said... Most Scots are appalled when they discover that private schools use their charitable status to avoid paying tax. Ending this tax break is not only the right thing to do, it will also raise much-needed additional funds for our public services. Private schools exist to protect the power and privilege of the wealthiest people in society. As long as they exist, they should be treated just like any other business and pay the appropriate amount of tax. According to a report in the Daily Record, Fetis College charges over £36,000 a year for boarding and Gordonston over 40,000 to board senior pupils. Despite the change being delayed due to COVID, the Scottish Government have confirmed the date of April the 1st for its removal. Churchwood School in Wembury has been awarded an outstanding report from Ofsted. This preschool is different in that irrespective of the weather, the children are outside exploring the woods. Emma Draper launched the forest school in kindergarten in 2017. She explained, we go outside whatever the weather and we splash in puddles when it rains. That's all they want to do. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, There's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. Churchwood Forest School scored an outstanding report in each category, including the quality of education, behaviour and attitudes, personal development and leadership and management. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio news with Gail Glane.
1: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk
5: Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available, yet least used browser technologies the Reader View. Chrome versus Edge, let the battle commence. On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge, weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome, also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening reader view. On the Edge browser, the immersive reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar by typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL, and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open reader view in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension. It's free and not difficult. Once installed, you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar. One point to Immersive Reader. Round two, Features. Both come out fighting with the Read Aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed, skip forward and back, and change the voice that is reading. They both also highlight the word being read. Chrome Reader has a volume control which is a nice touch if not using headphones. One point, Chrome Reader. Round three, Readability. A big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user. Both allow easy changing of font size, font and text width on the screen. But they differ in background colour features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers 8 background contrast colours, 4 light and 4 dark. Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader. Round four, editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode. This allows you to highlight text and make changes. Quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One Point Chrome Reader. Round five, extra features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature, allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One Point Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of five, three, or one line, blocking out the rest of the page, There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature, allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features. However, other free products, such as Google Translate, could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final Final score! Winning with four points to two after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader. But let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed.
1: Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more, and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics.
0: Okay, and
2: we are back. I'm never, I'm I'm, never ceases to amaze me the the tech, the two minute tech um, suggestions. Um, he definitely knows his stuff. <laughs> Rachel, welcome back. Hi. <laughs> you're, you're still here. Thank goodness. I'm still here. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk a little bit more about you. Um, also thinking about teens when you when you were a teacher. Um, what things did you learn about the teenage brain, or or what? Th- no. What things would you have liked to have known about the teenage brain when you were a teacher?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, certainly, you know, like most people, um, I did my, my CELTA, well, I say most people, most people who go down the CELTA route, I did CELTA, which was all with adults. I then went off um, and my first job was teaching uh, at least two thirds of my students were either primary age or secondary age. And I had had absolutely no kind of preparation mm. um, in terms of, you know, how to to deal with either of those age groups. And I think, you know, in terms of, of teenagers, um, I really did kind of expect, I think, that they would, uh, re- you know, respond in the same kind of way as adults would. And it took me quite a long time, you know, to work out um that you know it wasn't really the same thing um mm. and that we needed we still needed i think you know some of the i mean like with younger kids you need lots of variety and sort of you know change of pace and it's not that different i think with teenagers yeah, you know that's one thing that i definitely wish that i'd know that i wasn't trying to teach them like you know little adults
2: yeah, or, or you you expected them to respond to the way that you were taught mm. and actually we've got you know 14 14 to 20 um different learners in front of us and and mm. that style might suit one or two but not necessarily suit everyone so variety is helpful so for those mm. reasons isn't it yeah no absolutely yeah um and you you left teaching and and went freelance can you tell us a little bit about your journey so um, you know as
3: you said at the beginning I've been in English language teaching for quite a long time now um, so I, um, I started off um, teaching in private language schools abroad um, in Portugal for a couple of years um, well one year there was also business English kind of in company then I went to Brazil for a couple of years, um, and taught at the Kultura Inglesa, um, and then I came back to the UK. I did um, a master's degree in English language teaching, um, wow. and then I went off to Poland for four years, uh, working for International House mm-hmm. as a I was a director of studies, um, and also um, became a teacher trainer for Salta uh, Delta and um, the certificate um, extension certificate in teaching young learners which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore
2: yes um, it's a bit but, it's a shame actually um and i think they've also shelved now they when they shelved the extension they they rolled out i think it's CELT p and CELT mm, s, s p for primary and s for secondary and i believe they're shelving them as well
3: Yes, apparently so, which, Mm. you know, I think is a a huge shame because, you know, one of the things that um, when I was working in Poland, we got a lot of teachers who were straight off the shelter and, you know, they desperately needed um, extra training and help, uh, same as I had, you know, in terms of working with uh, younger learners and teenagers and, you know, it does seem... A backward step, I think, to get rid of those uh, qualifications. I must say.
2: Yep, I I tend to agree with you. Maybe someone's listening from Cambridge, and they'll mm. they'll pick up on it. I I, th- I also noticed that um when there was the IATEFL Emerald um conference, quite a few people were, were on the same um we're sending the same message that good training for teaching young learners is, I think, is, is fundamental. I also think it's a big section of mm. the ELT market now. The adults have, are in continual decline mm. and it is about about teaching young learners and teaching them well. Um, but I, I don't think that training or, or absence of training um, is a common issue. I, I was listening to Emma Williams, um, who's another Teacher Talk radio host, talking to Tom Bennett about behavior and you know are we are we at crisis level um she very very nicely um gave a lot of history into um into reactions to particularly to teenager teenage behavior
0: Mm.
2: and and tom bennett's actually written a book on on this (laughs) he could talk about behavior for forever but one of the things that he said is that teachers in state schools in the UK in particular um do have problems with behavior um because they don't have the right training to 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 help and and a lot of the the issues that they find are not necessarily their fault it's just that they don't know um so training is 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 fundamental i know when it, in poland when you work there there was they have, was that in the years where they have they used to have lots of meetings at weekends between centers and and mm-hmm. training weekends i think they oh, I mean, yes, I, lots. IH is notoriously good for these these sort of networking events and
3: yes there was a huge amount of um training that that went on you know it was actually it was a great place um to be in terms of professional development uh, you know for me but I think also for lots of people who were there you know I can yeah. think of a lot of uh, teachers who started their career there you know who are still um in the business and and you know doing well it mm-hmm. was it was you know good very sort of um motivating um but that, you know, that was the that was the nineties, um, and then I I came back to the UK and I spent ten years working in a further education college. Um, so, you know, not not with young learners per se, but with an awful lot of sort of nineteen to twenty five year olds,
2: um, <laughs> so so, teenagers. Technically. Yeah,
3: kind of. <laughs> technically, I Teenage say. brains. <laughs> yes, um, and then eventually um, in two thousand and eight, um, I went freelance because the materials writing had you know I was sort of doing more and more of it and it just didn't really work trying to fit that with a with a job and so I've been doing that full time kind of ever since but increasingly um, over the last three or four years I've been moving over uh, to what I'm mainly focusing on now which is coaching teachers um, and coaching teachers particularly um, with their if they're setting up their own business mm. um, so not just teachers but also materials writers editors school owners um, consultants teacher trainers um, and you know helping them to um as you said at the beginning you know earn more work work less and live more fully <laughs> and it is you know all of those three things are really important to me because you know i do think that within ELT, there is a terrible sort of culture of people being undervalued and underpaid. And I'm really up for helping people change that. But it's not, you know, money is money's not important in itself. It's about freedom and choice and kind of, you know, helping people to have more of
2: those things. Definitely. And also feeling um, feeling confident in their...
0: Mm-hmm.
2: In, in, in their their being, if that's possible, yeah. to help them to flourish, um, which was a, that was a, another sort of quite a frequent ad- adjective that Tom Bennett used in his um, in his interview was was helping teens to flourish, and it's nice that you know that you're you're helping ELT professionals to to do the same. Um, I, yeah, what I led do you like to it? Word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, I think, I think what led me to it really, I mean, it was a combination of things. I think partly, um, you know, it was reaching a a point in my life, you know, I hit 50 and I kind of thought, um, am I doing, you know, what I really want to be doing? And I was really, I realised I was really missing having a kind of direct impact on people because, you know, I like writing materials um, but you never really get to see them being used. Uh, you know, so it it's always kind of, you send it off into the world and, and that's it. Um, and I was enjoying, go, you know, sometimes I would go out and sort of do talks at conferences and things and I was enjoying that. But again, you know, it's just a one-off thing. You don't really see the impact of it. Mm. So, you know, I wanted to work with people more directly. And at the same time, you know, having spent a long time in ELT, having been in all of these different um, roles within ELT, I often found that I was kind of informally mentoring people, coaching people, you know, helping people. And, um, you know, I realised that um, I, could, I could have, you know, a much bigger impact, if you like, on, on the world by doing this kind of work
2: um, directly. And a fantastic job you do because, um, as I probably have said many a time, you do an awful lot for ALT professionals and um, you're really helpful <laughs> and kind. And um, as, I, as I said, it's always lovely talking to you. Um, I'm waffling now, sorry. Where do you see yourself in, in five years? <laughs> the classic um, question.
3: Um, I think you know. I would. I would like to uh, continue what I'm doing. I mean, currently, I'm I'm offering a, a group program, which is like a kind of business foundations course, um, which is called Flourishing Foundations. <laughs> so there's that word again. It is. Um, and I also uh, do some one to one work with people as well. So I definitely want to continue. Um, doing that. But, you know, I think what I'd really like in five years is, and I'm not certainly not saying I can do this all on my own. And I know there are other people who are doing similar uh, work as well. You know, it's almost like consciousness raising, Mm. Um, you know. So I'm thinking about people like Atena Yushko, Ola Kowalska, you know, there are definitely other people who are, I would really like to see the culture change in ELT so that people don't feel you know, apologetic about actually wanting to earn a decent living or have time off mm. um, and, you know, that they they feel able to, you know, kind of look after themselves and not that, you know, they should always put themselves, you know, at the bottom of the heap. I do think there is still far too much of this, um, you know, a, a teacher is is like a candle that, you know, burns itself out for the good of others kind of Thing going on in this in, in within ELT, so that's what I'd like to see in five years is a is a shift in that culture.
2: I think I'm uh, um, I'm noticing it now. A lot of language schools that I have contact with, one of their main problems, partly due to Brexit, obviously, but um, the pandemic has has enabled a lot of teachers to real to realize that they can actually stay at home and teach online. And um, they earn more, Mm. so a lot of language schools that perhaps don't pay enough are finding it difficult to find teachers. Well, you know, there may be be a shift, um, and I I think it's it's coming. Um, People are realising that it's better for them.
3: Yeah, well, you know, we've all all got to make a living and so have the school owners. But I do think there has historically been a huge amount of um, exploitation and, you know, almost gaslighting at points, you know, Mm. where people are kind of being told, oh, you know, you're a bad person if you're not willing to do all of these hours for free or, you know, you should think of your students and, you know, all of this kind of thing. And it it it's really got to stop. You know, this is this is about the professionalization of ELT. And yes, it means, you know, things like and C P D and but it also means being treated as professionals.
2: Mm. Not just the native speaker in the corner who, <laughs> yeah. who speaks English, because <laughs> exactly. a lot of them have worked really hard to get through their celtas and then go on to do their deltas, and they they read and and do other courses. Mm. Yeah. Um. Wonderful, wonderful. Um. Your your your. You're doing so much. It's um, it's extraordinary. And you have done so much. I'm going to go on to some, some lighter questions <laughs> just sure. to know a little bit more about you. Um, what's your favourite word, Rachel?
3: Oh, I do know this one, actually. I, <laughs> discombobulated.
2: Sorry? <laughs>
3: discombobulated. Uh, so so it's not something up. that I like. It's not something I like being. Um, But I just love the sound of it. So if you're discombobulated, it means that you're kind of a bit confused, a bit thrown. You're not quite sure what's happening. Um, But it's just such a lovely word, discombobulated. There you go.
2: It's not onomatopoeic, but when you listen to it, it does give you the (laughs) sensation of being... A yes. bit wobbly, doesn't it?
3: <laughs> yes. So, I don't know. It is. That's definitely my favourite word, though. And if you were a type of food, what type of food would you be? <laughs> now, if you were going to ask me about what type of food I'd like to eat, um, <laughs> that would be easier. Uh, oh, what type of food would I be? Um, well, I would hope something tasty. Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> Yeah maybe maybe something i i let's say something like a, a, a you know maybe a strawberry let's say so i think you know something that's not necessarily that kind of um you know big and um in your face but hopefully has a
2: lot of flavor and yeah, yeah that, i think that that does describe you um <laughs> quite well i think yes i can see you as a strawberry <laughs> And if you could switch lives with someone for a day, who would you choose? Oh goodness! Um, well, I mean,
3: if, if we're talking about for more than a day, nobody, because um, I'm very happy, you know, being me <laughs> and having my life. Um, but but for a day, oh, I think it would. I think it would be interesting, you know, to experience something like completely different. Um, you know, so maybe, um, you know, I'd like to, to spend a day, I don't know, kind of like living by a lake in Nepal or something like that, you know, something Mm. that's completely removed, um, from my current existence just to,
2: to see what it was like. I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, obviously choose carefully. I have a friend who, who works with charities in, in Nepal and, and, their job is to get kids to school and some of the journeys that they take (laughs) are are, are just extraordinary I mean I've you know I've got my boys complaining that they have to get on a bus or a funicular and you know some people make a huge (laughs) it happened this morning Mm. it's like mum can you take me to school and I'm like no I have to go I had uni this morning I have to go to uni I can't take you it's like but I'm gonna be uh, you've got it's literally a five-minute funicular ride up the hill to get mm-hmm. to school. You don't have to walk up. You've got a little cable car that takes you there. Um, and you know, some people walk for hours in mm. the cold to you – know,
3: Well, maybe they need sending off to a lake in Nepal for a day. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes, <that's> right. <laughs> tom's just said, lazy teenagers they yes they're well they're but maybe they're tired
3: (laughs) Um, well true the sleep deprivation exactly you know
2: i do think it
3: it would it would do us all good really to kind of experience something like that for a day i don't think i'd want to do it for any longer no um but you know just to yeah really see
2: kind of how life can be very different i think Yeah. me too um Okay, can I give you um, – this is probably a more, um, a more serious question. Um, obviously, teachers um, – people think that teaching is is challenging. Um, when, um, when should teachers recognise the point that it's becoming overwhelming and, and too much to handle?
3: Yeah, so I think, you know, this is this is an important um, point to make because so many teachers do suffer from burnout, which I think, you know, it is partly because teaching is very challenging, but I, I do think it's also very closely linked to the things that I was mentioning before, you know, about being sort of undervalued um, and taking on too much and putting yourself last. Um You know, I suppose what I'm saying is I think it's often a combination of the circumstances that you're working in Mm. and your own kind of choices. And certainly I know that was the case for me because this happened to me twice um, earlier in my career. So, you know, in terms of the point, I think, you know, when you start to notice that that even very sort of small things are tipping you over the edge, Mm. that is often I think the clearest indicator that you are kind of, you know, over full, if you like. Yep.
2: And I suppose at times it could be we could transfer the same idea to to our teens. I mean, I I am glad that things here are better for the kids that they can actually get out and see each other. Um, but I do think I think the pandemic, particularly for for, for young people, as you said, socialising is, is really important. Um, it, um I've lost my train of thought <laughs> what, what am I saying um sorry about that no um I think but you know, they, stress, they they're know? dealing with it and and probably mm. at times a bit overwhelmed I do worry that they might go too far the other way though and I think after I think after the espaniola there was quite um um it all got very very exciting post pandemic so we just have to see what happens with these kids (laughs) Mm -hmm. see where they where they go
3: yeah no indeed
2: okay um Rachel have you got anything else that you want to um to tell us you've got we've got quite a lot of um of people in the room I've asked them if they'd like to ask you any questions um what's interesting is we've got someone from We have got someone writing to us. We've got Italy, Nigeria. Um, the other other people in the room, tell us where you're from. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yes, please.
3: I mean, if there are yeah. any questions, um, you know, do do ask away. Uh, just seeing here, our best resources for online teaching or your favorite one i'm in liverpool so quite boring (laughs) um well i mean i think i think there are you know there are lots of um resources around increasingly teachers um are sort of sharing more and more of their materials online which i think is you know often a really good source um I really hate being put on the spot like this because I can never remember the the names of the people that I'm thinking of. Uh, help me out here, James. there well, are quite just a few thinking, people, yeah.
2: aren't there? Yes, there are. I was actually the person that sprung to mind. Mine for me was and and you can people can listen in later on this afternoon because Harry has um, mm-hmm. he's got Charlie's lessons on the show with him this afternoon, and he's actually going to talk about his um, his top ten or top five um, online resources for Christmas. So I'm sure Tom, you'll you'll be able to get something <laughs> from from the the session this afternoon. And I'm not sure if Harry's still here, but um, Harry he'll be on in in a little while. In a little while this yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Um, Charlie is a great resource. He's got um, he he. He's, he's got quite a lot of videos that actually talk you through all those resources as well. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Good.
3: thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Charlie Cranmer is, is yeah, His Charlie's lessons on YouTube definitely would be a source. And there's a lot on there to help teachers, you know, about sort of tech and things. But he does also um, sort of do roundups of um, resource sites as well.
2: Yeah, no, he's he's one. Um, we'll, maybe we can add a list to the feed. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm quite boring with my online teaching. I sort of, I have my safe online resources, so I use Mentimeter, <laughs> I use my Jamboard, um, to, but I'm I'm also trying to encourage them to really collaborate and work online together. Mm-hmm. So, I'm I'm not I'm not overly techie, really. Yeah, but Mentimeter is quite a good one just to get reactions and get people involved. Okay, Rachel, um, I could keep talking to you for another hour. (laughs) It's always (laughs) lovely, lovely to speak to you, and thank you you so much for for coming this morning. Um, Everyone, please follow Rachel. She does. um, She posts regularly. um, Has an amazing Group, which uh, is full of resources for for teachers and and people um, who want to live um, live more fully, really. Um, so, do think about joining Rachel's Facebook group. Um, life resourceful still.
3: <laughs> so it's well. In fact, I am going to, I'm going to change the name, <laughs> but it's called um, EL, ELT Professionals Light Bulb Moments. Um, over on Facebook
0: yeah,
2: and it's a great group there's a lot happening there Um, thank you again Rachel Um, it's time to say goodbye and I hope to see you all next week on Teachers Talk Radio
3: thanks Rachel thanks for listening everyone
1: you've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio